Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of 18 in Life, the Pac-12 Hoops podcast. The non-conference season is finally over, and the Pac-12 season, the much, much anticipated by maybe just like five of us, Pac-12 basketball <laughs> conference. Yeah, I know, all five of our listeners, right, have been anticipating the season. But anyway, my name is Jeff Newser. I'm, I'm one of your co-hosts along with Seth Colin, uh, my other co-host, I guess, not other co-host, the the other co-host, yeah. and then yeah. and then uh, also producer whose voice you won't hear, Jeff Collier, who does an amazing job mixing up our uh, our episodes every week, and and Seth. So yeah, I mean, I I kind of make light of it, but you know, I mean, it's I I have a hard time remembering a less anticipated Pac-12 basketball season, and that includes two years ago. Which you know, funny story. It's like we launched this podcast two years ago. It's our third season now. Launched this podcast two years ago, and we had the exquisite timing of coming off of what was maybe the best season in Pac-12 or Pac-10 at the time, Pac-10 history to one of the not best in the following year, and then last maybe a little better, and then this year seems almost worse than two years ago. I don't know. It's all just sort of it's all just sort of strange that you know it's 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 hard to believe the Pac-10, Pac-12 going through sort of a three-year down cycle like it seems to be going through. Well, you know, it's it's a rebuilding. League. I mean, when the, the guys that they had playing, you know, in the Pac-10 that year. I mean, that you know, I mean, you could have taken guys from that league, and I mean, maybe you know, taken the best five guys, you probably could have like made the NBA playoffs. So that was an unbelievable season. Um, and now, you know, like they're they've just rebuilt with with some of the recruits. A lot of the best players are sophomores, and it's not like Kentucky or Memphis or some of these schools where you know. You can kind of, you know, who are pulling in um, all these amazing recruits that just doesn't, you know, they're just, it seems to be there's those top few schools that really pull in like all this huge amount of talent, whereas the Pac-10 uh, is a little more balanced. And um, and this league, you know, on one hand, it's going to, you know, there's, there's not a team that's like a nationally prominent team right now that's that good. But on the other hand, all the teams are, you know, they're good basketball teams. It's good basketball. They're close. Um, in talent, and it's going to be really a lot of fun. I mean, I think there's really probably eight teams that could could win the league, and it's going to be really close. There's going to be a ton of close games and a lot of exciting basketball. I think the thing is, though, that you know, the, the Pac-10 used to be that conference, though, that would load up with these stud freshmen every year. Especially, you know, you think of UCLA and Arizona and what they were able to do, you know, sort of year after year after year. And I know that they. You know, Arizona went through went through a coaching change, which is always going to make things a little more difficult. UCLA, you know, they, you know, whatever. I mean, I don't even know what to say about that. But, um, you know, Pac-12 used to, Pac-10, Pac-12 used to be the conference that reloaded with, with these freshmen, and yet they really haven't been able to do that the last couple of years. And then, you know, as we've sort of documented over the, you know, over the weeks in the podcast is, you know, players that you would, that were sort of maybe marginal NBA players that would be normally developing over the course of a few years we're leaving you know you think of a guy like Malcolm Lee or you know somebody like that you know uh, um, the other forward from uh, from UCLA Tyler yes Tyler Honeycutt is like his name is totally drawn a blank right now but anyway yes Tyler Honeycutt you know I mean guys like that leaving and, and going to the NBA when maybe they weren't ready or maybe you know it would have just made made a big difference in the conference if they'd stuck around so yeah it's 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 interesting it's weird it's the conference is not being helped out in the slightest by the addition of Colorado and Utah so far um, it's probably to some extent, probably uh, you know, obviously not going to stay that way as as we would like to hope. But is there a the sport where Colorado and Utah are like raising the profile of the conference? Maybe like women's soccer or gymnastics <laughs> or something. I would Beats just like me. to know if anyone knows. Yeah. Yeah, if anyone knows, yeah, if, any, if anyone knows, send us an email at one eight and lifehoops at gmail dot com. Please let us know. <laughs> we would love to. These are things that we would like to know. Um, so yeah, you know, it's they've been terrible. Utah, you know, Pomeroy currently projects them for one conference win, which is um, better than the zero conference wins they were projected for not that long ago. So, mm-hmm. um, so you know, but I mean, it's 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 a tough deal, and and it's weird, you know, that that we. You know that it just feels like this conference should be um, rebounding, should be getting better, and yet it, it just doesn't um, seem like it's happening. The non-conference schedule obviously was something that was not 
was not a huge – I don't know, like not, not a lot was accomplished. I'm trying to figure out how best to say that. You know, they, the, the, the conference's best win is probably Oregon State over Texas. Well, uh, I would say there are a lot of teams that – the teams that people expected to be good were not as good in non-conference play as people thought. Washington, Arizona, and UCLA – but all th- well, UCLA was just atrocious. Washington had some tough, close losses, uh-huh. and Arizona, and and well, I would say Cal, I guess too, because Cal lost, got blown out in a couple of you know their games against good teams. But then there were two other teams, Oregon State and Stanford, that really weren't expected to be contenders that have really stood out. Um, uh, that have stood out in non-conference. So it was sort of like a balance. I mean. You know, overall, like there weren't any good wins, and except for the, I guess, Oregon State beating Texas is probably the best win. But um, those two teams kind of rose up. Yeah, it's it is interesting, and, it, and I think it's definitely going to make for a conference season that is, you know, not very not dissimilar to two years ago, where, you know, you had maybe a couple teams that sort of rise to the top, and then you've got this crazy you know, combination of teams, you know, six or seven or eight teams that are all like three or four spots away from each other. Looking again at, at Pomeroy's projections here, I mean, he projects about, let's see, let's see, he's got Oregon State and Washington penciled in at fourth place at 11 and seven. And then you got USC and Arizona State penciled in tied for 10th place, excuse me, tied for ninth place at seven and 11. So what he says is, you know, four games is going to separate fourth place from ninth and tenth place, you know, and it's that I think that speaks to the overall kind of parity of the conference. Not that parity is something that you really want, because what you really want is you want a handful of teams that that really separate themselves and 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 really uh, sort of prove that they are best of the best and that they can go to the NCAA tournament. But at the very least, like we talked about two years ago, it should be more for a compelling conference race. If we look back at the non-conference schedule, who, who would you say is sort of your uh, – out of who, who in the Pac-12, which team would you say was sort of the champion of the non-conference schedule? Does that make sense? You know, which yeah. team maybe put together – looked the best, put together the best resume, you know, was sort of the, the best-looking team heading into conference play at the moment, do you think? I guess I would call it a tie between Oregon State and Stanford. I mean, Stanford really looked – like a really solid basketball team, like, you know, in all facets and was pretty close to knocking off Syracuse, which would have, you know, put to rest all the Pac-10 doesn't have a big win. I mean, they were, they were up late in that game. Um, and then Oregon State, which has the conference's best win over Texas, is leading the conference in scoring. They played a lot of kind of crummy teams, but, you know, they won 10 out of 12 games. Um, and, you know, they're in really good shape right now. Uh, and 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 again, also look like they have really turned. I mean, it's so interesting how they've just completely changed the team from this kind of slow, uh, plodding motion off, you know, Princeton backdoor cutting offense to this running offense where they're leading the the conference in scoring. Yeah, I would have to agree with you. I I would probably put it if I had to pick one, I would probably pick Oregon State right now, um, which which is interesting because. You know, they're not getting – they don't seem to be getting a lot of – I don't know if hype's the right word, but just a lot of – most people don't seem to be saying – thinking of them as legitimate conference contender, um, which, yeah. which I find sort of sort of interesting. I, I know they've, they haven't really done much all that impressive in the non-conference season other than beat Texas. They lost to Vanderbilt without Festus Azili, which, you know, is um, – you know, Vanderbilt's not as good of a team without him. And, and, you know, they did only lose by two on a neutral floor. So that, you know, that shows well. They had the loss to Idaho, but, you know, as we've, as we've gone over on the, on the show, we talked about how that came right around the, uh, the death of the football player. And, you know, the athletic departments are close. These guys see each other all the time. So, you know, I'm okay with excusing that one away. Uh, you know, so I would say overall, just just by virtue of a close loss to a decent Vanderbilt team, um, a win over Texas, and, and wins in the rest of their game, more or less blowing out bad teams. Right. I, I, you know, I would say that that to me would 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 sort of le- allow me to crown them conference champion. If if Stanford had not gone out and lost to Butler, 
which mm. greatly, greatly annoys me that that <laughs> happened. Well, it's just, you know, I've, right when I feel like I'm about to really be on the Stanford bandwagon, um, you know, yeah. go out and do that, which, uh, was, was, was interesting. The interesting thing about that game, by the way, that as I'm, as I'm looking up some of the peripheral stats here is that they were really dominated on the glass. And that is not something that you expect at all out of Stanford right now with their, with their front line and, and the way that they are sort of, um, a frontline centered team, frontline centric team. Um, they, they only rebounded about 28% of their own misses, which is well below their season average. And they also allowed Butler to rebound nearly 40% of their own misses, which is way, way above what they've been allowing. So, you know, those two things combined with, you know, Butler finally hitting some threes and, you know, stupid Butler. They, I remember what they did. They did this to WSU last year too. Like WSU was getting ready to play them in the Diamond Head Classic around Christmas time and, and they hadn't played that well. But they were they were sort of teetering. They just hadn't shot that well. And then all of a sudden they come out and win the Diamond Hand Class. They beat the Cougars in the championship. And I'm thinking, man, what a missed opportunity. And you know, Butler's just not as good this year. And all these things. And of course, Butler goes out and pretty much wins the rest of their games. So you know, who knows yeah. if Butler's in the middle of one of those because they just beat Purdue right before they beat Stanford, which was was sort of crazy too. So you know, maybe we're selling Butler short. I don't know. But I felt like if you're Stanford and you're you know going to make a serious um, statement about your team and about who you are and about what you hope to be. Uh, beating Butler at home, a down Butler team or a Butler team that hasn't been as good as the last two years, um, should be something that you should do. And so that that's why it sort of annoyed me um, to to a certain extent. But so if we if we kind of extend that out and say, okay, who who was your player of the year of the non conference season? Who would you pick? Oh, I think Jared Cunningham. Um, probably without a doubt. I mean, he's been doing everything for Oregon State, which is, you know, if you argue that they're the best team in the conference, then, you know, I think you kind of have to go with him. He's averaging 16 points a game, which is number one in the conference, and he's kind of just been uh, been their best player, and really, I mean, I think he is the best player in the conference. Yeah, it's, you know, it's not even just that he's scoring a ton of points either. It's also that he's he's doing it efficiently. You know, he's only, his offensive rating is 110, which is fantastic. And he's doing it while using a fair number of possessions, about 25% of the possessions when he's on the floor. So, you know, doing all those things, doing it very well, he draws a ton of fouls, which that's the thing. I mean, he, you know, he shoots a fair amount of shots, but he's he's very good at getting to the basket, very good at getting to the free throw line. And, and those things have a lot of, um, have a lot of value. And, and we also see, you know, I think if we, we start talking about it in a most valuable player kind of way, um, mm-hmm. you saw what happened against Idaho when he had a bad game, you know, when he didn't yeah. score and, and, and wasn't, um, you know, wasn't sort of a, the force that he normally is. Uh, you know, they struggled to score points in that game. And, and so I think all that sort of adds up to Jared Cunningham. Now, at this point, then, would you say that he is sort of the early favorite for conference player of the year now as we head into the conference? I almost think he's – I mean, I just don't know who else, you know, it would be, Um, you know, even just as we continue into the – you know, I mean, maybe Alan Crabb for Cal, but, I mean, if you kind of look down – I mean, it's, you know, usually goes to a, the best – you know, one of the better scorers on one of the better teams, Um, and, you know, they're, the next best guy is Josh Watkins of Utah, and I don't think he'd probably have to average 30 a game for him to get any kind of – uh, you know, any kind of votes for player of the year because they're going to lose so many games. Tony Roten for Washington, who's averaging a lot, but I think it's no secret that he also shoots a lot. So, um, I mean, I guess that's possible if he goes out, you know, continues to improve and gets better. But, um, but yeah, I'm not even sure who else. I mean, Colorado's Andre Robertson, he averages double-double, but, again, they're not going to be very good. So, yeah, it's sort of hard to see. Solomon Hill from Arizona has won two Player of the Week awards, which sometimes factors into that. But, uh, but I don't really see him as, as, as you know, really anyone's going to say, oh, he's like the top player even on that team. So, yeah, I really think he's got a kind of almost. Uh, I don't, I don't know who the other candidate would be. I mean, can you think of anybody? You know, the only other guys that I would think, of, you know, I would think of a Terrence Ross as a possibility, yeah. um, and you know, as much because. You know, these awards are voted on by the coaches. And so right. if, you know, I, we saw a couple of years ago, I remember a couple of years ago, Clay Thompson made the All-Pac-10 team. And, and I sort of ridiculed it because he had had a really tough Pac-10 season. 
And and a lot of people were sort of hard on me for, for ridiculing it because I was like, he was terrible. He was taking a ton of shots. He wasn't efficient. Yeah, he was scoring points, but really he wasn't doing much else. And, and you know, which seems silly now because of what he accomplished last year. But two years ago, really, he had a really bad conference season. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as I talked to different people around the league and talked to some reporters and, you know, one of those things is, you know, coaches, they, they number one, they tend to remember things. So if, you know, let's say a guy goes off for 35 points against them, they remember that. You yeah. Know? Um, and, and then also they they tend to sort of pinpoint who's who's the one guy on the floor that we can't let beat us. Right. Who's the one guy on the floor we can't let go off. And, you know, people say, well, Thompson was that guy for Wazoo, even though maybe he – you know, didn't score as many points he should or was as efficient as he should have been. He was carrying the whole load by himself. Coaches respected that. They were giving him an inordinate amount of attention. They, they were more recognizing his talent more than what he actually accomplished, if that makes sense. And so when I look at a guy like, say, Terrence Ross, you know, if I'm, if I'm game planning against Washington, I'm thinking, okay, who's the guy that I've got to make sure doesn't beat me? He's the guy. You know, he's the guy that I don't want going off. I mean, Roten is, you know, certainly a special talent, but but really he's fairly one-dimensional at this point. He's not going to beat you from outside. Um, he can get inside and finish around the rim, but he's also not really beating you at the free throw line much. Um, and he's going to turn it over. He's, he's going to do those things that sort of irk coaches. You know, if yeah. a guy's a turnover machine, then a coach maybe is going to knock him down a peg. So I go, you know, Terrence Ross is a guy that I could see, especially, you know, I, I, it's pretty easy to see him averaging closer to 20 points a game in conference um, if they feed him the way that Romar sort of has implied that they want to feed him from now on. So, you know, that's a guy I could see. Um, Jorge Gutierrez is a guy I could obviously Mm -hmm. see. Um, if you know if Cal is able to ascend near the top again, I think I think coaches like him because he does so many things so well. They they unlike unlike me who tends to um, skirt around the issue of leadership and toughness and, and things like that. Coaches seem to have no issues embracing that uh, when they vote for these sorts of things, and that's certainly something he has going in his favor. So oh, you know, God. those are guys that Jorge I Sierra's as the Pac-10 Player of the Year. I mean, that's just. <laughs> I mean, you know, Larry Gutierrez, you know, he's a good college basketball player, but that could be the first time maybe the Pac-10 player of the year doesn't end up playing in the NBA. Anyway. I don't know if I'd go that far, but that's really? okay. Yeah, well, he's, he, he, I mean, he is, you know, as I, as I sort of look at what he's done so far this year, and he's been, he's been hobbled a bit, too. He's had a Yeah, I know he had the flu and... Yeah, he's you know he's been efficient. He's using lots of possessions. He's um, his assist rate. He's he's basically averaging twenty seven assists per one hundred possessions, which is one hundred eighty third in the country. I know these aren't things necessarily that you know coaches would be looking at when they vote these tempo free stats that I like, but um, but they will see a guy who averages around fourteen points a game, who gets some assists, gets some rebounds, basically has it all ring and plays really good defense. Yeah, and he is sort of seen as the leader of the team. I mean, he is yeah. the leader of that team. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think if Cal wins the league, he'd have a definitely a good argument. Yeah. I, and, and just for the NBA thing, maybe we should have Pelton on at some point. But I'd, I'd be surprised if he's not if he's not playing in the NBA just because of all those different things that he's able to do. And he's got good size. You know, he's not he's not a midget. He's 6'3". So. I guess he is 6'3". So, I mean, Isaiah Thomas is getting minutes, so who knows? This is true. This is very true. Um, what about freshman of the year? Who would you say so far is your freshman of the year of the non-conference season? Well, you know, I mean, I know we can have an argument about you know, rate stats and efficiency, but I, I mean, I think it would be pretty hard not to give it to Roten based on, you know, I mean, I, geez, I, yeah, I mean, you know, he's third in the conference in scoring. He's probably going to be up there most of the year. Uh, I'm trying to think of another freshman that's had as much of an impact. Nick Nick Johnson for Arizona is a really good player. Um, I mean, he 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 he's sort of stepped in and and you know, and I think if Arizona does well, I think he's the type of guy that does the things that coaches do like. Um, so I could see him kind of being contender for that award. Yeah, another guy to think of is Jason Randall out at Stanford, uh, playing a ton of minutes for them, efficient scorer, um, shooting the ball very well. For a six-one guard, he's uh, shooting about fifty-one percent on his twos, which is um, sort of an indicator that you know when a, when a guard is able to get you know, up above 50%, that's an excellent place to be. You know, it's a sense that he's finishing around the rim uh, to a certain degree and, and is able to able to convert those. Shooting 42% almost from three-point range on 48 attempts, so plenty of attempts as well. It means he's averaging about four attempts a game. So, um, 
you know, he's a guy who actually has been an impact player for Stanford that, that maybe we didn't expect. Uh, oh, yeah. But I, you know, if I, I don't know, you know, if you put a gun to my head and made me pick one, I'd probably pick Roten. Um, and, yeah. and not because, <laughs> you know, not, I mean, and again, that, that sort of goes against, you know, everything every, you believe every, in. Everything <laughs> I believe in. No, it's, it's not everything I believe in. It's, you know, it's, it is weird. I, I feel like it, he he's such an odd case. Well, number one, I will say this: his 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 efficiency has gone up in the last month quite a bit. His offensive rating is now ninety two, which is still really terrible, but at the same time is much better than. I mean, he was like at eighty or eighty five, something like that, not that long ago. And so, to have a dramatic increase like that is, um, it, it's not that easy to do. And it is pretty impressive. So in that sense, I feel like he is getting better. But and, and I also feel like I feel like he is being relied upon that in a way that no other freshman in the conference is. Yeah. And and I don't know how much of that is Lorenzo Romar asking him to do that and how much of it is him just doing it because he just seems to sort of take over when he gets on the floor. And and I like I said, I don't know, you know, you watch the team more closely than I do. You've got season tickets, you know, those kinds of things. Do you feel like it's a situation where Romar's like, hey, this guy's going to be the centerpiece of our offense? Or do you feel like it's more like, hey, I'm Mother F and Tony Roten, and this is what I do, so give me the ball? Well, it's, I mean, basically it's, I mean, I think it's, I don't think Romar's really, okay, how to put this? I think Roten is the one guy on the team who, you know, they have a kind of a, few, a bunch of guys who are kind of, they're they're not super assertive on the floor. You know, Gaddy is a you know is a is a point guard and wants to pass even though he can score. I mean, Ross is really really assertive on the floor. I mean, there's no question about that. But when Ross and Roten are on the floor, both of them are so you know can can get to the basket that it's Roten just. There's been times where no one wants to take the ball, no one wants to do anything, and Roten's the guy. I mean, against Duke primarily where. And other times, but where no one else was really doing anything, and he just had to make something happen. And Romar is like, look, the guy's shooting 51%. You know, we can't really say don't take shots when he's making the shots. And it's not so much Romar saying, hey, you know, you've got carte blanche to do this, but, you know, he's not – if he can cut down on the turnovers, that's the issue they're trying to get with him is not turning the ball over. But I think it's hard for them as a coaching staff to say, I mean, he's not killing the team because, you know, there's other guys that aren't really – that aren't really stepping up as much. I mean, the, the issue is, I mean, what's the issue is that, you know, when he controls the ball so much that other guys just kind of don't even bother to try to move without the ball or try to get open because they feel like he's just going to drive and shoot. Um, and, you know, which is really kind of what he does. And a player like CJ Wilcox, who, you know, only needs a teeny bit of space to get off a jumper and he's a really efficient player, you know, just isn't getting as many touches as he needs to. Um, and, you know, and, and when no one's moving, you know, Gaddy's not as useful. So, um, I, I think it's just more that he's asserted himself when no one else really has. And, and it, it's hard to tell him to stop when, you know, really he's, you know, doing a pretty good job. Yeah, I think that's that's what I noticed more than anything. And, and and as I said earlier, you know, I'm reticent to go into leadership and toughness and you know the, these sorts of things that I don't always feel like are are as observable as people on the outside want to think they are. But you know what I see is I see well, first of all, you know, I see a guy like Abdul Gaddy who's been who was a you know, a top 100 recruit when he came in two years ago was was thought to be the point guard of the future and struggled with shooting, struggled with confidence and struggled with injury and and just seems to continue to not be as assertive on the floor as he should. In fact, you know, as you look here, he's playing 80% of the minutes. So essentially he's playing, what, 28 minutes a game, right? 28, 29, you know, more than that, 32 minutes a game, right? That's what that works out to, math major. Um, so <laughs> he's playing like, like 30, 32 minutes a game and yet he's only using – just under 16% of the possessions overall, which is sort of a weird thing for, for a guy to be a point guard and use that few possessions um, is, is sort of strange. And then when you look at the fact that, you know, his assist rate is very good at 25, his turnover rate is absurdly good for a ball handler at 17. You know, he's, I think you mentioned when we were off the air, his assist to turnover ratio is something like three to one, right? 
yeah. something like that. And so, you know, you've got this situation where, okay, it's three to one, but he's just not using the ball enough. And, and I feel like as I watch when Roten's on the floor, everybody just sort of defers to him because yeah. he's like this, this alpha male personality and he just takes control. And, and, you know, and I don't know, like I said, how much of that is Romar and how much of that is him just saying, well, if nobody else is going to do it, I'm going to do it. Then, you know, but whatever it is, he, they just have this funky, weird chemistry going on where everybody kind of defers to this freshman who is a, you know, I don't know, just this really flashy player. So I would say that, you know, there's a, it'd be a mild upset, I think, if he doesn't win freshman of the year just because he is going to shoot it so much. He is going to score so many points and, and he is a guy that, that other teams are going to have to respect. Um, so in that case, I, I think he probably will be that guy, but it is going to be interesting to see how his role maybe morphs and evolves as the, or if it morphs and evolves at all as the, as the conference season goes on and, and if maybe he's just able to get these, the turnovers under control and then, Everything's fine. I don't know. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know. Maybe we want to get into this more when if we start talking about the teams and where they need to get to. But um, you know, everyone, a lot of everyone's when you people are focusing a lot on Roten and a lot on the offensive end. But really, what's been going on with the Huskies so far is that their defense is bad. And I mean, people always say the Huskies' defense is bad because they always give up a lot of points because they run at a at a pretty high pace. But this year, it's actually bad. They're ranked 119th. Uh, 118th in the country, and they're at you know the adjusted efficiency is 96.8, and that's really really for a Romar team, yeah. not good. That's they yeah. haven't been in the hundreds since his first two years as coach. Um, last year they were like 51, um, and you know with the Huskies, their defense plays into their offense because if they're able to score, they're able to get stops, and they're able to make you inbound the ball, and they're able to press you. But they've never been this bad before, so. You know, probably more the issue with with the Huskies is is is, is defense, and they're just you know they're only forcing 19.1 percent turnover percentage on defense, which is really 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 low for them. So um, you know, I don't know. I think that's that may be more of the issue. Although we'll see coming up here, but they've got to get better at defense, which is something that you know typically is something you can improve in the course of a season. Whereas whether you're a good three point shooter, kind of less so. Yeah. If I was to say who who are the teams that you would project as having a legitimate legitimate shining the conference title does that does that list pretty much just include? I mean I say just, but it, which is basically half the conference. But I mean we would say you know Oregon State, right? Cal, St- maybe Stanford, Arizona, Washington. Does it include that? Would you throw UCLA into that mix? I would, would throw UCLA into that mix just because I think they're talented, and I think, I mean, you know, you you haven't seen it so far, I don't think, but they're starting to play a little bit better. I mean, if you say legitimately who do I think is going to win, I mean, I think the conference is so close this year that, I mean, I don't know whatever you say is legitimate, like a 5% chance, a 10% chance. I mean, you know, a team gets a couple bounces here and there, and I think you could even see – we're talking about, you know, best record in the conference. I mean, I think you'd even see a team like Oregon sneaking in there. I mean, I wouldn't expect that to happen, but, um, you know, if they, if they get lucky and, you know, things happen a certain way, I can definitely see that. So, I, yeah, I would say, like, those, I guess, eight teams, and I would say that <laughs> Southern Cal, Colorado, Arizona State, Utah are not – I'm just saying. So is it is I it more a matter of saying who who? So maybe we'd be better off saying who are the teams that we would say have no chance, and that's Utah, Arizona State, USC, oh. Colorado. Is that basically I it? Say yeah, I don't, I don't see, I don't see any any chance there. No. So you can envision a scenario where even say Washington State could jump up. I and, think so because yeah. I think that it's everyone's so close that you know a couple three or you know two or three one-point wins. I mean, if you're telling me, okay, if we ran, the, you know, if there's like a 75%, if we're talking about teams with, you know, that I think we're going to win maybe in like a normal, like nothing crazy happens, I would say Cal, Stanford, Arizona, Oregon State, Washington, and I would throw UCLA in there just because you always throw UCLA in there, and I'm not even, I mean, they were picked to win the conference, for God's sake. So, <laughs> I mean, I think you have to put them in there as like maybe, like those are the six teams that, you know, I think probably have the most legitimate shot. My feeling, well, no, go ahead. What do you say? Well, what do you say to that? I, I would agree with that. I think that you know, I would 
being a Washington State alum and close follower of that team, I would be I would be shocked if that team ends up anywhere near <laughs> the top of the – and I mean near – I don't know, maybe near is relative because it's like I don't think they're going to be probably that many games behind whoever wins the conference because I, I think the conference champ is probably going to have something along the lines of like five or six losses. So I don't think it's going to be some – I don't think they're going to be like you know trailing four or five games behind the eventual winner per se. But – I don't I, I don't see them getting above like say, you know, fourth or fifth place. I just I, I would be I would be fairly stunned. I can think of plausible scenarios where Cal, Stanford, Arizona, Oregon State, Washington, UCLA all end up sort of making a run at the thing in different parts of the season where maybe, you know, they are they're in first place or tied for first place at some point along the way. You know, that that would not shock me or surprise me. Oregon or Washington State, if either one of them jumped up and really made a serious push at some point in the season, both of those would surprise me a little bit. Oregon's just had so much chaos with with their coaching not not the coaching situation but with the with the personnel situation under the coach you know with, between um you know Jabari Brown leaving um the other guy leaving with DeVoe Joseph getting eligible with trying to work in a couple of other transfers and Tony Woods and and Olu Ashalu um they just seem when i watch them play they just seem to not have any rhythm. Um, but, you know, again, maybe – and maybe that's a case for them being able to make a kind of a push because when I look at the floor, I see talent. But it, they just sort of haven't quite figured out how they're going to play together. And maybe at some point it really clicks for them and they're able to go on a run and make a serious push. I just don't know that they'll be ready to go on that run and make a push early in the season. When I look at Oregon – in Oregon State, what I and I see the same thing with Washington. Washington State, they both, all four of those teams play each other in the first weekend, and to me, that is actually a pretty critical weekend for all four of those teams. Oddly enough, if Oregon State's going to make a push, you know, they need to be able to beat a Washington team on the road that has not played well and is going to play better. I mean, we we all I think are pretty confident that Washington's going to play a lot better, right? I mean, would you say they need? Would you say they I, well, need Washington? I, Okay, needs probably too strong of a word. Maybe more like it's a really good opportunity to get a win that would really help that they really want to make a push at winning so, the conference. Here's why, you know what here's I mean? Why here's what I'm starting to feel why this is Oregon State's year. So they're playing the Huskies on Thursday at 6 p.m. The Husky football team is playing in the Alamo Bowl on right. Thursday at 6 p.m. So probably, I mean, I think you could argue Oregon State's toughest road game of the year is going to take place at the exact same time that that school, with their vaunted home court advantage, has a bowl game going on. So you have to imagine, and it's during winter break, so you have to imagine that this, I mean, you know, I'm going to watch the bowl game. Everyone I know with tickets is going to watch the bowl game. So I really think that, I mean, you can't even envision a better, you know, except like some sort of snowstorm or something insane. I don't think you could make up a better scenario for Oregon State than that they play Washington when the football team is playing Baylor. Um, and this has happened. So I'm thinking, you know, this is why I have this good feeling about Oregon State is because it seems like things are kind of falling into place for them now. Mind let me hang on. Let me give you one more thing. Let me do you one better. Okay. Then they're then they're going to go, and they don't have to go to Pullman. They have to go to Spokane to play oh. WSU in Spokane, which Spokane Arena is going to be an unbelievably yeah. sterile environment where without the presence of students, without the, the zoo crew, so to speak. Um, so they, not only are they going to be playing a Washington team that, you know, theoretically is probably not going to have the same kind of home court advantage it normally does and also is not playing great basketball right now, but then they only, they don't have to go all the way to Pullman, which is normally a fairly daunting trip for most teams. Um, and then they, they get to go play in what should be a fairly sterile environment up at the Spokane arena, which I would imagine will be, Half empty, ish. You know, maybe maybe one third empty, something like that. Yeah. So, and then following that up, they get to go back home and play Cal and Stanford. And so, and those are two teams that, again, you know, if they want to make a run at a conference title, those are two teams they probably need to beat at home or at least split with at home. And so, you know, you kind of look at it and you go, okay, if they can start, you know, say three and one in that stretch, they are in fantastic shape. But if they go out and, you know, drop a turd up in Seattle and then get swept at home by Cal and Stanford, you know, 
I, I it's definitely if they're one and three, then that's going to be a huge hole to crawl out of. You know, then you're talking like, okay, you've got to go, you know, ten and eleven and three or whatever the rest of the way in order to to really have a serious shot. So I don't know. It's they they are the schedule, like you said, it does set up nicely for them to get off to a hot start and and potentially make a push for. Uh, for the for the conference crown, if we look at some of these other contenders, what would you say? So, if, if I was to say, okay, um, Stanford, what what would be the one thing that Stanford needs to do better if it's going to um, be a legitimate player for the for the conference title? Do you think for Stanford? Yeah, or what's where's where's the area where they need to like what what's their weakness right now that you would say, okay, this well, is their weakness. This is what they need to do better. I would say the biggest surprise for Stanford is that Dwight Powell has just been not. As good, I mean, he was all freshman last year. You know, he's right. he's a talented player, and he just, I mean, isn't even really seeing the floor that much. Um, and it's kind of, it's just weird, you know. Um, you know, he's he was expected to be one of their best players, and he just hasn't done it. And I'm not exactly sure of the reasons, um, but uh, but I think that's been a real issue. And I think the other thing is, you know, they have a really young backcourt. Um, with Aaron Bright, who's a sophomore, who wasn't that good as a freshman, has been much better this much, much, much better this year. But will that continue into conference play? And then Jason Randall, their point guard, who's a who's a freshman. Um, and again, you know, we off, I think we've seen, you know, guys that are freshman point guards, you know, sometimes do a little better in the non-conference season than when they get into Pac-10 play. It's a real whole different deal. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think those are kind of two things with them that I'm not sure about. Yeah, they uh, they do have Aaron Bright, who I think does you know most of the ball handling for them. But you know it's it, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to me to see if you know if their guards can keep it up maybe against some of the the tougher competition. This is you know right now a very guard heavy league, so I think it's yeah. gonna, that that part's going to be interesting. What about Arizona? What would you say? You know, is Arizona sort of in the same boat? They need they need some. Some uh, some improved play in the front court. I mean, obviously Solomon Hill's playing pretty well. Something that we we touched on, I think, earlier in the show with him winning the back to back or not back to back, but two and three weeks uh, Pac-10 Player of the Week awards. Uh, is that where you would is that where you would put it with with them? Given that they're getting very little production out of anybody outside of Hill and Perry, both of whom are fairly small for front court players. Yeah, I mean that's a big question about them when they you know when they they play. I mean when they got. Destroyed by Gonzaga, um, and and you know I mean the score was nine points, but they were down by huge amounts in that game, and you know with some experienced big front court players there, um, I mean they're going to be undersized, and they're really going to have to scrap. But you know we said this last year about them that they you know that they were undersized in the front court. Of course they had Derek Williams, but you know um, they were able to really uh, to get it done against taller players, and I think it's just going to have to be same thing, kind of really battling team effort for them down low because they're going to really be struggling to get boards. Um, I think they got out rebounded by Seattle Pacific, uh, the Division II team that they lost to in their exhibition game. So, And then again for them, you know, young point guards or young guards. Um, Nick Johnson is a freshman. He's not the most athletic player, so you wonder how he's going to do in, in conference play. And Josiah Turner, who's, you know, kind of their point guard, um, you know, is not – really done that great uh so far so um so you know they have Kyle Fogg who's a good shooter when he gets hot but he's not really somebody that's gonna kind of you know create his own shot or or take over a game I don't think so um um yeah I I think you know they're under they're undersized in the front court and then there's experience in the back court also and then when I look at Cal, you know, what, what they need to do better, you know, the interesting thing about Cal and their non-conference schedule is, you know, they, they, they sort of beat the crud out of the people they were supposed to beat, and then they lost either badly or close. They lost badly to, to Missouri. They lost badly to UNLV. That game wasn't nearly as close as the 17-point margin, final margin. Um, they were down by, I think, about 25 at one point. They did make a little bit of a run at the end, but they just really they really ran out of time. <laughs> Excuse me. And so, you know, you're looking at a team that got destroyed by Missouri, got got beat really bad by UNLV, and lost a close game to San Diego State. But, you know, if I was just going to put, you know, one thing they need to do to, in order to really make a push for the conference title is, I, I would just say they simply need to they need to get healthy 
and yeah. get right because they've had guys, key guys in and out of the lineup at different points. They've had, you know, we mentioned earlier Gutierrez had, I think, a little bit of an ankle thing and, and also, you know, the flu. The flu apparently ripped through their team. And, you know, Alan Crabb was not at 100% for that UNLV game. He had the he, – he had been sick. Um, they've had Richard Solomon in and out. And to me, as much as – Jorge Gutierrez is kind of the, the the heart and soul, you know, the engine of that team. Richard Solomon is the guy who takes them from above average to potentially very good. And wow. because he brings an element to their front court that they just don't have otherwise. He's a freakish athlete, grabs every rebound in sight when he plays. Um, you know, he's right now his defensive rebounding percentage is 29, which if he had played enough minutes to uh, to qualify would put him very near the top in uh, in in the national rankings. So I mean, he 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 grabs everything, but the problem is he he was suspended for a couple games. Now he's been out with a foot issue. He's supposed I don't know if he's coming back this weekend or not. He's supposed to was supposed to only miss a couple games, but it, it's you know if if they can get healthy. Then I think the rest takes care of itself with them because they've clearly got enough talent. Justin Cobb's um, transfer has been a really, really nice revelation for them. Excellent scorer, um, also an excellent passer. Um, he, he's almost been the point guard when Jorge Gutierrez hasn't been the point guard. It's it's really it's really sort of remarkable what he has done. I think he's been more of an impact player than than anybody thought he would be. Shooting sixty five percent from three. Granted, that's only on twenty three attempts, but. You know, you like to see that. So, um, you know, I think all the rest of the pieces are there. If they can get Solomon back playing well in the front court, I think that makes a big difference for them. Um, Washington, we already, I guess, sort of covered, but, you know, they, their, their defense needs to get better. Um, is there anybody else we skipped over there? I'm trying to think. I don't think. Maybe UCLA. Well, we, UCLA. What does UCLA need to do? What oh, do, gosh. Well, I mean, they they just, I mean, I think they're, they're starting to figure out that they're not this – I mean – you know, originally everyone thought, oh, Josh Smith and Reeves Nelson and the Ware Twins, and they're going to be this dominant inside team, and the job of the guards just not to screw up and get the ball inside. And now, well, Nelson's gone to Lithuania. So everyone's realized that Smith is basically too out of shape to be, you know, a 40-minute per game, you know, or even 30-minute per game or even 20-minute per game player. And the Ware Twins are not inside players. They're like kind of slow Keith Van Horns. So, um their guards have to take over and do stuff, and that's what they've been doing the past. You know, they have a five-game winning streak going now, granted against bad competition, but um, but you know their 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 guards are starting to be more assertive. Um, Norman Powell, who is a freshman, is another guy that is a potential freshman of the year. He's had a couple of big nights the past couple of nights. Jeremy Anderson's been doing really well. Lazarus Jones had a terrible start to the season, and he's picked it up. Um, and uh, and so yeah, I mean, I think that they're. They've, they've basically changed the entire, you know, profile or the entire kind of game plan for the team, and and now things are working a lot better. Yeah, it's I don't know what to think about them. <laughs> right know, now, whether they, it's good enough for that, you know, is yeah. good enough to make them, you know, a successful team. I'm, I don't know, but um, but but it's 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 the oddest thing, you know. Yeah. I think really, it's just you know, you thought started coming into the year, you thought, oh, this is going to be this. You know, grind you down, dump it inside, and foul you out. You know, rebounding team. But now they're, you know, basically they're, uh, you know, they're just they're they're getting the play from their guards is really how they're going to win. They've got to shoot, and you know, we'll see. I guess. Yeah, the sh- and the shooting has been the thing that's been you know super inconsistent for them. You know, as I'm as I'm looking at their effective field goal percentages, they've got everything ranging from 40. They they've played about half, not even half, about two-thirds of their game, they've shot under 50% effective field goal percentage, which is very low. Um, and then they've got four games above 55%. So it's – and and two of those were the last couple of games. So, I, you know, I don't know. I Most of the time yeah. I can look at a team and say, yeah, they need to do this. And I look at UCLA and I go, I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea because they've had guys in and out and they've tried so many different roles and they've tried playing Joshua Smith for lots of minutes and they've tried playing him for not very many minutes and they've had Reeves Nelson. They've not had Reeves Nelson. They, so, you know, I, I honestly yeah. don't know what, what they need to do. What I do know is they, they seemingly have the talent to make it happen so i don't know there's there's that part so yeah, i don't know well, yeah if if i put a gun to your head and said okay who's going to win this conference who would you say would you would you stick with oregon state or do you think somebody I, else is going to come I up and go this i just feel like just law of averages just 
everything to sort of falling into place for Oregon State. They haven't finished higher than the last year they won. They won the conference in 1990, which was also the last year that they went to the tournament, which was also the last year they finished any higher than fifth. They've been either in the middle or at the bottom of the conference for basically 20 straight years. Um, you know, I mean, some of which I'm sure is due to just being crummy, but some of which I think is probably just due to kind of some bad luck. And I think everything's, it feels like everything's sort of starting to come together for them. Um, you know, and, and they have this team that's, that's the, of all the teams in the Pac-10, they're the team that has guys that have really been together for, you know, a, a decent amount of time, you know, under, under this, under Craig Robinson, you know, learning his, he sort of switched his system up, but they have, you know, Cunningham, Burton, and Brandt, all juniors, um, you know, Roberto Nelson, who's a sophomore, but who I wasn't, wasn't, didn't he not play that first year? Or did he play at the very end? Uh, He's been in the system a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, they're soft, they're point guard Amon Starks is a sophomore, but you know, they're not, their guys have been playing together. Devon Collier's a sophomore, and then Eric Moreland, who's been a big uh, part of their success, is just sort of like a you know six ten guy off the bench. The freshman who's a transfer, so he's an older guy, and um, they just seem to have kind of the best um, you know kind of I guess chemistry slash playing together slash. Uh, I don't. I mean, I, I guess the question with them is they don't. They're not very deep. And they can, uh, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, they, 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 they're, they're really probably the most athletic team in the conference, the tallest and most athletic team in the conference, with, I guess with the exception of Starks, who's a little guy. But they just, I don't know. I think it's, I have a good, I think it's, there seems to be things are falling into place for them. If I had to sit down and pick one, I would still probably go with Cal. And, yeah. and, and the reason why is all things being relatively equal in terms of talent, I'm usually going to go for experience, and Cal's got that. Um, they've got a lot of experienced guys starting with Gutierrez and Camp. Um, so, you know, those I generally go with talent unless a team has just sort of, or generally go with experience unless a team has really overwhelming talent, which I don't feel like Oregon State does yet. I can see Oregon State making a push. I really can. Um, other teams that potentially have some young talent, um, Stanford, you know, I could see making a push. You know, there's these teams I could see Washington, I could see making a push, um, but I don't know that that any of them, you know, possess the kind of experience that Cal does, um, and I think that's going to help them handle and weather maybe some of the stuff. I guess, for example, I could see Oregon State starting hot and then having trouble sort of dealing with that and and falling off a little bit. I mean, sort of like Arizona did a couple of years ago, if you remember that. They uh, didn't they beat who they beat? They beat Washington, right, down at their place to to go to first place, mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. sort of just fell apart in the second yeah. half of the season. Yeah. Um, I could easily see something like that happening with some of these younger teams, including Oregon State. Um, I think Cal has the experience to maybe be steady through some of those things. They're not going to overwhelm people with their talent, but they do have a dynamic scoring crab. They've got a guy who's a great all-around player in Gutierrez. And when Solomon's healthy, they've got a difference maker in the front court uh, to go along with Harper Camp. So, um, you know, Provided that they don't have a bunch more sort of snake bitten type issues, um, I think I like Cal in that spot. But you know, as we talked about, I really wouldn't. Nothing else would shock me in terms of anybody winning, unless it was like Oregon or Washington State or, or God forbid, like USC or something crazy like that. So we talked about you know who we think is going to win the conference, which you know people often always just forget, and then it ends up being who wins the conference style that teams remember. Um, but, of course, what really matters is who's going to make it into the tournament. And there's been all this kind of talk about, oh, is the Pac-10 a one-bid league? And it's just, which to me is just silly because the tournament committee doesn't think about it like that. It doesn't have any real, real I mean, obviously they're going to get one bid because somebody's going to win the conference tournament. But it's just, there's so many factors that play into that, and, you know, kind of anything could happen um, that especially when it was at a 68 team tournament now that this kind of idea of like a one bid league is just, I don't know that it has any, you know, I mean, I guess, you know, there's being a one bid league and like a six bid league. I mean, I guess you could say that, but I don't feel like whether there's one or two or three bids, like any, you know, a lot of things could, could cause that to happen. But um, just, I was, I just was looking back at, you know, the stats that I could easily get to. And since 2003, at least, Every team that's won 20 games and has won at least 10 conference games or had a better than 500 record has made the NCAA tournament. 
Um, and there's three teams, Cal, Stanford, and Oregon State, with ten wins now. So presumably if this worked out, which who knows if it would, they could be, you know, have 20 wins and have a 10-8 and eight conference season. But there's some other teams like Washington that their path to getting, you know, an at, a guaranteed sort of or close to guaranteed at large bid is probably win the conference outright, which doesn't seem very likely. I would agree uh, with that. I mean, I would I would say that, you know, I, I think what this conference really needs is they need – they need some teams to separate themselves. Um, you know, they, they sort of need to have a pretty clear upper tier, and I don't know that that's going to happen. This is the thing that we said a couple of years ago. I, I think the best thing – honestly, I think this, this, this league I think is destined for two bids. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's simply – and I know that we – you know, like you said, it's kind of a canard talking about you know one bid, two bid, however many bids. The question is how many teams are worthy of NCAA tournament entrance, and I think – Probably what's going to happen is this team, this this league's going to have one team win the regular conference title, and that regular season conference title, and then another team win the tournament title and take the automatic berth. And there's no way the regular season champ of the of the Pac-12 is getting left out of the tournament. That's just not yeah, going to happen. So, nice. yeah. So I I honestly see probably two teams. Um, who those two teams are, I don't know. I mean, I could see a scenario where. We've talked about you know a number of teams win the regular conference title and then Washington gets hot at the end you know with all the talent they have which would be again. right which would be so um, which would be so Romar right would be it would yes. be yes so you oh, know I mean it's doesn't have an offense yeah right Sorry. yeah exactly whatever <laughs> people are people are crazy people are crazy just yeah Washington doesn't have an offense the same way North Carolina doesn't have an offense so. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, you know, it's yeah. I, I think that ultimately is how this ends up shaking out. I think if the same team wins the conference and wins the conference tournament, I think then maybe you get a little, maybe a little nervous, uh, especially if that one team that won the conference somehow is you know ends up being head and shoulders above everybody else, and then you've got like your you know your second, third, fourth place teams are all kind of muddled close together. You know, those are things that I could see um, potentially being issues when when Selection Sunday comes. But you know, as we as we found out, you know, I mean, these things tend to sort of work themselves out. Yeah, it's, it's not. I don't know that it's going to be some sort of major, and, you know, Selection Sunday bubble crisis or something. Well, last year I felt like everything kind of worked out the way we expected, except that everyone was really surprised that USC got a bid. I don't think anyone really saw that coming. And then all of a sudden they're in the tournament, and that was sort of weird. But you know. So, I mean, I think there's there will be kind of like a – I think Pac-10 is going to get the benefit of the doubt. Like you said, there's no way that we're going to – that if there's two different teams that win. That's the thing people are like, what's a one-bid conference? Like, well, that would require one team to be really good and win the regular season and the conference title, which is hard to do. Right. It's just hard. It's just, you know, I mean, there's there's two, so many good teams. It's, like, difficult to win, you know, the most out of 18 games and then, you know, win three in a row to win the conference tournament. So, um yeah, like you said, I think it's more of a two-bid. But, but you know, Cal, Stanford, and Oregon State, I think, are positioned fairly well, um, you know, to, to – I, I guess it's unlikely for all three of those teams to but – but all three of those teams could – I think – I could imagine a scenario where all three of those teams put together good enough seasons that they deserve an at-large bid, plus some other team getting in. You know, by virtue of winning the conference tournament, I don't know. I mean, probably if those three teams are that good, they one of the three win the conference tournament. But, um, but yeah, I would, I, I think those, those are the. I mean, I mean, I think Washington almost now, and you, and Ben Howland has come out and said. I think Romar may have come out and said it. I think Howland did too. That basically, like, we feel the only way we can get in the tournament now is to win the conference tournament. So we're going to try to put ourselves in the position to do that. So you might see some sort of different kind of strategies or or different ways of approaching games by those two coaches. I and mean, we know that coaches tend to use the non-conference season as sort of a warm-up to the conference season, but in a way you might see Howland and Romar, who are smart coaches, use the conference season as a warm-up for the conference tournament. Yeah, that wouldn't be shocking <laughs> because that's, I mean, I think, I think both of those teams know that really their only their only true would be like we said. I think if you you know you win the regular season title, I think you pretty much assume you're in. But that that would be a, a tough shot for them. If they don't do that, then I think winning the conference term is probably their best shot given the number of losses that they have. So you know those things are going to be um, 
that, that's probably going to weigh, I would think, weigh on those guys' minds a little bit. As we head into this first weekend over the next few days, which which games are you most looking forward to? Maybe pick one game that you're like, yeah, I definitely want to catch this game. Washington, Oregon State is going to be awesome. I mean, they're two of the like fastest teams in in um, all of basketball, um, yep. all, all of college basketball. They're probably two of the you know the Oregon State is 19th in, in adjusted tempo. The Huskies are 13th. I mean, it's going to be a super high scoring game. It's two really athletic teams. Um, it's going to be tons of fun, and it's all at the same time as the bowl game. So I don't know if I'm just going to DVR it and watch it later, or try to switch back and forth and see. But like, I mean, honestly. Until Oregon State and Washington play each other again, this is probably going to be the most entertaining um, game of the year in the league. Could be. To me. You know, and I think you also, you know, I don't think you'll have too much trouble watching it after Robert Griffin throws for his fourth touchdown in the first quarter. <laughs> then you can just no, – I'm just kidding. Then you can just flip over. Well, um, I mean, if we can hold him to fewer yards than the Cougs did when he was a freshman – I know. We'll feel pretty good. That was so long ago. It was, it was, but I remember that game well because that was, that was the point at which I realized like, uh, wait a minute, this, this whole, this whole Paul Wolf thing might not be as, as good. I'm like, we cannot go down and lose by 40 points to Baylor. Are you kidding me? And then, you know, and then it turns out that, uh, yeah, we really can because we're really terrible. He's a Heisman, he's a Heisman Trophy winner. And he's going to win a Heisman Trophy someday. So yeah, it's, uh, you know, that was year two of the Paul Wolf regime and we were all just kind of like, oh my God, this is, yeah, anyway, <laughs> not getting better. Um, you know, for me, the game that I'm actually fairly intrigued by is Stanford-UCLA. Um, that's also tomorrow night, uh, and we're recording this on Wednesday. That's also Thursday night, and and to me, that's interesting, not necessarily because I think boring. it could be a really boring game, <laughs> but at the same time, I mean, you've got probably the two teams with the premier front lines in the conference, um, you know, t- again, taking Cal out of the equation when Richard Solomon is playing, but, you know, these two teams probably have more depth in their front court than any other teams in the conference and, and talent, um, so in that respect, it'll kind of be fun to watch as big bodies go at each other. And then beyond that, just the fact that, you know, Stanford was sort of cruising, looking like they were going to sort of fly right into conference play, um, and then they stubbed their toe against Butler. Um, you know, UCLA is a team that they really should beat, and especially if they have designs on winning a conference championship as a team they should beat at home. Um, you know, but UCLA, again, as we talked about, they have talent. They're still trying to find themselves. So still also a very dangerous team. So going to be interesting for me in terms of the overall conference race, um, seeing, seeing sort of how, how that game turns out. So I think those, that's, that's a game that, that I've sort of highlighted as something interesting to watch. And then Cal UCLA, um, that one's on Saturday. Um, they always seem to play. They always seem to play wacky games. I don't know why it is, but they always <laughs> seem to play something crazy. Maybe it's just because they're both part of that UC system and they hate each other. I don't know, but um, it's it's that's definitely one I'd, I'll I'll be keeping an eye on too. And it's sort of a weird. Uh, is this going to happen all year? That there's two, I don't think so, but there's two teams like two of the travel partners are playing each other on the weekend. Is that every week this year, or is that just this week? Well. I, I would think it would have to be every week, wouldn't it? Because Not if good. you're going to have Not either good. that or you'll or you'll have to have no, you wouldn't have to have it every week. You'll just there will be some weeks where where the where there are no travel partners playing each other because it used to be you would have obviously one set of travel partners playing each other every right. week of the season. Now I think what you'll have is you'll have some weeks like this one where you'll have two of them playing each other, but then you'll have other weeks where right, none of right. them. Right, right. It would have to be zero or two, otherwise right. it doesn't zero work. Zero or two, exactly. Okay, so, so this week so, there's two yes. like conference rival, whatever, like travel partner rival games, Utah, Colorado, which, uh, no, don't, and, uh, and uh, Arizona State at Arizona, which, you know, I – I mean, you know, it's sort of a rivalry game, but it's, I guess, a kind of a big game for Arizona because Arizona State's not that good, and they've, you know, you feel like they kind of, this is that's a game that got to really start out and just win right away. Yeah, and it's going to be fun watching Utah and Colorado sort of manufacture a rivalry. <laughs> that should be. Yeah, I guess they don't. I guess they aren't. You know, I mean, I can see those two states. Maybe they're close to each other. 
the vaunted you know? travel partner rivalry of Utah and Colorado. Yeah, uh, I guess it's not so good. It's, it's kind of like the Mariners playing San Diego in interleague. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's, it's, I think, honestly, I think it's pretty much exactly like that. Yeah. I, think that's, <laughs> yeah. I think that's exactly what it is. Uh, yeah, so. Well, hey, it's going to be interesting. Um, first weekend is always exciting, no matter how good or not good the conference is. It's, it's just kind of fun because, you know, non-conference is always always just prelude to to this, which, you know, is why we call the podcast 18 in life. It's the 18 games. You know, it's it's that part that, that is exciting for us. So um, have some happy watching. Try not to get uh, – try not to uh, – Get too down if if Robert Griffin goes crazy on uh, on your Huskies tomorrow night, but uh, we'll see. I bet he'll get less than two hundred and seventeen rushing yards, like he did in eleven <laughs> attempts, like he did against the Cougars on September twelfth, two thousand eight. Yes, thank you, thank you for the. <laughs> appreciate that. Um, yeah, so he probably will. Well, you know, maybe guts. I, I will say this: he probably will simply because he'll be able to throw for. Five. Although we'll say the Cougars did hold him to seven completions, so that's if yes. he completes seven passes, I'll take that. We'll see. Well, Robert Griffin the third, two thousand eight edition was Robert Griffin the third converted track star, super athlete, sort of okay quarterback. Now he's Robert Griffin the third. Potential number two overall draft pick, Robert Griffin the third. So, yeah, so it should be pretty awesome. So hopefully, hopefully you all have DVRs and you can record both, uh, both that and and the uh, and the UW OSU game because yes, I'm with Seth on that one. That that is the most interesting, entertaining matchup of the weekend and should be should be great fun. No matter how uh, how you th- view the conference, that should be that should be great fun. Well, that wraps it up for this week of 18 Life, the Pac-12 Hoops podcast. For Seth, I am Jeff, and our producer Jeff Collier. Thanks a lot for listening. We appreciate it. We will check in with you next week. 